recently, um, a major a major figure in the evangelical world, so a, a prominent pastor, he said this about preaching. He said, guys that preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, that's just cheating. It's cheating because it would be easy, first of all. That isn't how you grow people. Tom Rayner, who's a president of... Uh, Lifeway Christian Resources, uh, the Lifeway bookstores, and, and more than that. He was speaking a few years ago at a meeting of the, the American uh, Society for Church Growth. And, and after he finished his sermon, which was on 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul exhorts Timothy to preach the word, he was confronted by a man who said to him, what does preaching have to do with church growth? And that kind of attitude, even amongst pastors, whose primary job it is to preach the word, that kind of attitude is, it's all over Christianity these days. And it really is counter to what the scriptures teach. And at its root is a not trusting in God's faithfulness. And so as I said this morning, we're going we're gonna to take a, a break from the story of the woman at the well to talk just a little bit about something that we've looked at before, although not in a little while. We're going to do this in order to address a growing need that we have as a church, and really, if I can be just frankly honest with you, that I have as your pastor. So Acts chapter 6, I want to read verses 1 through 7. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, and proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray one more time. Lord, what we need, I pray that you would give us this morning from your word. We pray that your name would be praised. Amen. This passage of the Acts of the Apostles, it really serves three purposes. So the first thing it is, is a transition from the the main focus being on, on Peter and the rest of the twelve, really changing that from them to the next generation of Christians. It's the author of the book of Acts, Luke, the good Dr. Luke, and God through Luke, showing us that that God himself is at work through all of his saints, not just those in high church leadership, not just the apostles. Secondly, this passage serves to introduce to us two men who will go on to be used greatly by God in very different ways. See, chapters 6 and 7, the church will experience something that the church had never experienced before, the martyrdom of one of her members. 
It is true that the church's leader, the church's founder, the head of the church, had been put to death, but he was not a martyr. Jesus Christ went to death of his own accord as a sacrificial lamb, bearing the burden of our sin upon himself so that he might grant to us his righteousness and eternal life. And we know, we know that he was victorious over sin and death because he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven where he now sits at God's right hand. Jesus Christ was not a martyr. He is the victor. But here in these few chapters of the book of Acts, one of the church's own will be killed because of his faith, Stephen, namely, because of his preaching. Then in chapter 8, as a direct result of this killing, of the death of Stephen, persecution will increase and spread throughout the Christian community, primarily because of one young man named Saul. So this passage introduces us to two kind of minor characters who have a major impact on the church for all future generations. Those two characters are two of the seven, Stephen and Philip. The rest of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7 is about Stephen. Chapter 8 is about Philip. But here they minister together. And God used them both for His glory, although their lives couldn't have been any more different. But the third purpose for this passage is is where we're going to spend really the rest of our time here this morning. And that's the immediate needs of the church. See, in this passage, the apostles clarify for the church, both then and now, what the priorities of the church are to be. And if you listen carefully, you're going to see that there is a development, but there's no change. There's organizational structure put in place, and priority is then clarified. We need to notice in verses 1 and in verse 7 also, this passage is is actually framed with numerical growth. Do you see it in the first verse and in verse 7 as well? In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, in verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. So an increasing amount of disciples frames this conversation here. When churches grow, uh, some of the people who come, some of the people who show up, will inevitably be needy. Actually, let me rephrase that. All of the people will be needy in one way or another, right? All of us are needy. Some of us have tangible material needs, like the Greek-speaking widows in this passage. All of us are needy in that we need Christ. We need His Word. We need to know who He is and what He has done. Some will have spiritual, uh, we could say counseling, but really I think it's discipleship needs. By the time they come to a new church, they will come because they had been, in many cases, sheep without a shepherd. Frankly, they will need to be pastored. Sometimes that means one-on-one. Sometimes it means they need the Word of God preached to them from a pulpit. 
In this case here in Acts chapter 6, because of their growth, the church at Jerusalem needed to restructure their community and the, and the 12 apostles were willing to delegate responsibility and so they introduced for us the concept of a new group of church leaders who will lead by serving. See, the apostles were already serving the church by leading them. Now they will appoint seven men who will lead the church through serving them. And in doing all of this, the apostles are able to preserve the priorities of their own responsibilities of of prayer and the ministry of the word. So this passage kind of serves as a transition. It sets the stage for the following chapters, which introduce for us Stephen and Philip, as I said, and then ultimately Saul, who will, of course, become Paul. But it also points out the needs, or really the priorities, of the church. So look at verse 1 again. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. First thing that we should see, even as we look at that, is that growth brings challenges. Growth brings challenges. Again, I've preached this passage before when we walked through a few years ago um, the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And at that time, when I looked at this, I said that growth brings pain. And I want to change that to growth brings challenges because I don't think that we're going through a period of pain as a church. But we are facing some challenges. And my intention today is to simply bring them to your attention. Someone once said, if you find a perfect church, stay away because you'll ruin it. I think it's true. I think it's a pretty accurate statement. Sometimes when people move into a new area and they find what they think is the perfect church for them, after a while they they start to get to know the people and they start to see things that they don't like. Sometimes it's preferences. Sometimes it's personality quirks. Often churches do things because, well, they've always done them that way. Sometimes it's sin that needs to be addressed and confronted. But every church has issues that need to be dealt with, probably some combination of all of those things. Sometimes people dislike the idea of corporate or structured church. They want to go back to the simplicity of the, of the early New Testament church. But there were some serious problems in the New Testament church, in the book of Acts in particular. So for example, here in Acts chapter 6, not everything was moving smoothly in the church, And in this way, they were just like every other church. Chapter 5, there had been persecution of some of the church leaders. There was dishonesty amongst a couple of church members, and God dealt with them swiftly and severely. Of course, I'm talking about Ananias and Sapphira, whom God struck dead because they lied. So when people say they want to go back to the New Testament church, they're not talking about the Acts 5 church. But look at this again in in chapter 6, verse 1. It begins by saying, now in these days. And we need to just stop right there. In these days. What were those days marked by? What did they look like? It is in the days when the apostles were being prohibited from preaching the gospel, yet they were continuing to do it. If you remember in early Acts, the Sanhedrin, the council, would gather them together and tell them to stop preaching in Jesus' name. And they continue to anyway. Those were the days that we're talking about. 
In the days when the, those apostles, namely Peter and John, were arrested and beaten for disobeying the human authorities. In these days, probably not more than two years following Christ's crucifixion, in the days when many witnesses of his crucifixion and, and resurrection were still alive and giving their testimony, in the days when the apostles were actively teaching in the church, a complaint arose from one group in the church towards another group in the church. In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, it says. This is the first time... Um, this word disciples is used to describe believers beyond just the 12 disciples who are now called the apostles, but it will go on to be used just in the book of Acts something like 28 times to describe church members, those who are followers of Christ, disciples. Why is that important? Well, because a discipler is just that, a follower of Jesus Christ, or more precisely, a disciple is a follower of the, the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, yes, when a person becomes a Christian, there is a conversion and they follow the, the person of Jesus Christ. But there's a huge aspect of following and adhering to his teaching as well. Being a disciple of Jesus brings the idea of, of being a learner as a Christian. Jesus had commanded, go and make disciples, and then he added, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And right here in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it describes new believers as being obedient in the faith, or to the faith. In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, this is uh, always a challenge in every church. So think about what their challenges might be. In the early church, in, in meeting in Jerusalem in, here in Acts, chapter 2, verse 46 tells us that they were meeting in one another's homes, as well as still continuing to meet as they could in the temple. Think about the challenges that this would bring with a church by this time numbering in the thousands, meeting in one another's homes and in the temple. Think of the business meetings. Think of the questions that would be asked. So which one of you is willing to open up your home to the church? There's 3,000 of us, 3,012 roughly. Which of you is willing to stand near the back so that others can stand near the front? Stand near the front because we don't have chairs. Which of you is willing to stand outside so that you can listen in the windows because the house is full? The list of problems is endless here, Right? It could go on and on and on. Think of the other challenges. Chapter 4, verse 32 tells us that they were, they were meeting one another's physical needs. The administration of this would have been an incredible challenge. Some, sometimes people don't let their needs be known, and yet they're still there, and they're still very real needs. How would they meet those needs? We know that throughout these chapters here in Acts, the apostles are the primary teachers, the primary preachers. And, and chapter 5, verse 42 tells us that they actually were doing this every day. They were preaching and teaching every single day. Now, you probably aren't going to believe this, but it's actually hard work. I don't envy preachers who preach multiple times a week. Historically, some of the 
Reformers, for example, would preach every day, multiple times throughout the week. It is hard spiritual work, if you can think of it that way. And the apostles were doing it every single day and living under the threat of arrest and being arrested really and beaten and told, don't do it again or we're going to beat you again. And they'd get up the next morning and do it again anyway. Listen to what Paul says about his own ministry. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he lays out an extensive list of what we really could call the dangers, toils, and snares that he had been through. Shipwrecks and hunger and cold. And Then he writes this. At the end of that list of all the things that he has gone through, he says, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? And, and if I could be frank with you, that's the ministry. That's what the ministry is like. Not just my ministry, that's what many of us are go through. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher who many of us greatly admire, he suffered from depression for most of his adult life, and he died at the age of 57. Did you know that? He died at 57. Let's take the focus off the pastor and just look at the challenges that the church faces when we experience growth. So we have faced the need for more classroom space, more Sunday school teachers, in our case, bigger bathrooms. Parking sometimes can become an issue. The church organization and structure needs to be dealt with, so more deacons with specific responsibilities, more elders to help bear the load, more people equals more work on everybody's part. There are challenges that come with growth. Again, these are good problems, don't get me wrong, but still they're challenges that need to be solved. And the challenge here in verse 1 is beginning to turn into, into pain in the church, in this church here in Jerusalem. And we know this because it's becoming a complaint. Do you see it? And complaining only leads to division, ultimately. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So this discontent among the believers eventually reaches the ears of the apostles. Now there's a, a tension here. Luke doesn't specifically say this, but this is not a one person who sees a problem and goes privately to the apostles and lets them know. This is one group of people who felt slighted and started complaining among themselves about another group of people in the church. Do You can see where complaining can lead to division in a church pretty quickly. And, and you know this, it always starts or often starts with jealousy, it starts with envy. There's often some kind of gossip, and, and soon you can find bitterness and, and grumbling. This, this complaining is condemned in Scripture because it's seen as a complaint against God's gracious care and, and His providence for His people. This is exactly what the people of Israel did throughout most of their history, but especially in the desert right after they were redeemed. They started complaining, and that complaining led to division and problems and punishment. This is a challenge to God and really for these apostles. 
this complaint had the potential to split, to tear apart the church. We've seen this happen time and time and time again. You've seen it happen time and time and time again. Churches split over genuine issues, real problems that are not dealt with in the right way. Now, their problem here is not racism. These two groups of people, they spoke two different languages. But they're all ethnically Jewish and they were all believers. The Hellenists were Hellenistic Jews. They were Greek-speaking Jews. They were a group, these Hellenists, who had been forced from Israel because of war over previous centuries. And now they had made their way back and had even come to put their, their faith in Christ. But maybe because of the language barrier, although we're not really sure, but because they, uh, they were being overlooked as they sought to care for one another, probably it was because of a language barrier. This need is a genuine need. Their complaint was a genuine complaint. It really needed to be dealt with. And if the apostles had not dealt with it properly, the church was very possibly headed for a split. When churches grow, when people come, the challenges that come up can quickly devolve into pain because of our own sin can devolve into into this kind of complaining and eventually pain. We can place the blame on any number of things. It might be because of the leadership's unwillingness to make necessary changes or let go of power. It might be because of the people's unwillingness to change or to engage with others, to find out the needs that are not being dealt with, not being met. It might be any number of things, but the root cause is generally sin. We get that. So here in verse 2, the apostles do what church leaders do. They call a meeting. Verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Challenges uh, clarify our priorities. Our challenges that we face will clarify our priorities. When we go through some kind of trial, when we face some kind of suffering or pain or some kind of problem or challenges, one of the responses, one of our responses as human beings is to reevaluate our priorities. So we have prayed and we have been praying for several that have faced some medical challenge, crisis. And when we face a medical crisis, we often look at our lives and we prioritize what is most important to us. Or when we face a financial crisis, we might prioritize what is most important to us. We ought to, at least, prioritize what is most important to us. If our families, need, what, do we, what do we need for food? How do we pay the bills? What can we cut out of our lives? We, we make priorities. Same is true for the church. In those nations where Christians are persecuted, where, where Christians are being put to death for claiming Christ, what is one thing that those believers desire more than anything else? It's not a TV show. It's not a movie. It's not a date night. Or It's the Word of God. 
That's exactly the priority that we see the apostles emphasizing here. And I want you to notice it's not Peter summoned and said. It is the twelve summoned and said. They, they stand united here. They see the problem. They see the pain that it's causing. And they address it shoulder to shoulder. I cannot stress enough the importance of a united church leadership, especially in challenging times. So from the apostles' point of view, the problem is that there's a conflict between their commission to preach and the responsibility of the church for caring for these widows. This is a genuine responsibility. Both tasks here are important and both represent official duties of, frankly, church officers. Official duties of the church to care for the widows. But their specific task, the apostles' specific task, was given to them in Acts 1.8 when Jesus said to them, You will be my witnesses. Their specific task was to preach, to proclaim the good news, to go and be witnesses for Christ. And they continued to do this even in the face of opposition. Just turn back to chapter 4. Look at verse 18. Acts 4.18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Chapter 5, verse 42. And every day, in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And this task of, of not ceasing to preach and teach God's word that the Christ is Jesus has been, it's been passed on to elders and pastors today. In fact, a good job description for pastor teachers can be found in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Just flip back there. I just want you to see this. First Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. Paul tells Pastor Timothy, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, and as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. The priority of the apostles was to preach the word. And they were not going to back down from that. 
but they also knew that they needed to come up with a solution for the challenges that they were facing, that the church was facing. And so as the overseers of the church, they set, they set the standards for what would become official church representatives. And so in this passage, whether they were the first elders or deacons, or as I believe a combination thereof, they set the standards. So the apostles set the priorities. They charged the church with nominating seven men of a certain character. And then they appointed those men, charged them with caring for these Hellenistic Greek-speaking widows. Now, look at the character qualifications there in verse 3. So Acts 6, 3. They say this, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. What I want you to notice is that the apostles, they set up the character standard right there. They didn't, they didn't leave this up to the church. They didn't say, just pick out seven people to do the job. Pick out seven good businessmen, nice guys. Instead, they said, seven men of good repute, of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Now hear this, the, the apostles' priority was in preaching the gospel. That was their priority. But the task of serving tables here was a priority for the church. And the men appointed to fill this priority were to be men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And the reason for that is because they were official representatives of the church. And so this ministry needed to be properly managed by godly men. See, two things needed to be accomplished. First, the needs must be met. We are reminded throughout the scripture to care for the weak. We're commanded throughout God's word to provide for widows and orphans, the the least of these, as Jesus said. But in doing that, in, in meeting needs, the other thing that needed to be accomplished was that the reputation of Christ and his church must be protected and even enhanced. Peter will write in his first letter, in 1 Peter 2, verse 12, he will say this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So you need to to hear this. All of us as Christians are to live holy, blameless, and upright lives as representatives of Christ and His church. All of us, not just the leaders. How much more so, however, those that, put, that the church puts forward as her official leaders and, and official servants, representatives, elders, and deacons. The system here that the apostles developed shows us God's priorities. His priorities are the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, and the care of the needy, care for his saints. Currently, uh, one, of the, one of the major arguments out there, uh, we could call it a split between progressives and conservatives within Christianity, it's that, that the church is not following Jesus' footsteps in caring for the weak. But that's not his primary concern. Hear me here, it is a concern. But his primary concern in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 39, says this. 
And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that is Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And, and that everyone is looking for him? They were looking for him so that he would heal them. They were sick. They were bringing their sick to him. Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Don't let anybody tell you that Jesus was more concerned with the poor than he was in preaching, because if that were true, then the Great Commission would not be go and preach. So growth brings challenges and sometimes even pain and challenges clarify our priorities and the, and the priorities for church leaders, according to the apostles, are prayer in the ministry of the word. And this is also important to remember here. The, the apostles, they would not necessarily have been sinning if they had worked to serve tables themselves. No doubt there was a significant amount of serving tables on their part, especially as the church was smaller. But at this point, they were just too many people. There were just too many people for them to do this by themselves, and so they needed to focus on the priorities for which they were charged, prayer and ministry of the Word. And, and just as kind of an aside here, many churches have taken the number seven to be a magic number. Um, but this was, this was a church of thousands, remember. Seven is not prescriptive. It's not prescribed for us. Only the qualifications are prescribed. Seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. This is simply a description of what happened then. And so when churches have taken this and mandated that they must have uh, seven deacons or seven elders or whatever, it's resulted in churches not having the right number, uh, many churches having the right number of unqualified men. At any rate, as a church, we need to be clear in our priorities. We need to be clear in our priorities. And the priorities bring growth. When those priorities are clarified, it brings growth. When they're straight, we're going to see growth. Again, verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The temptation for all churches is to grow themselves, to, to look for ways to increase our numbers. And so we often will try to be innovative. We will try to attract people. We'll hire a pastor with young children with the hopes that they will attract more families with young children, right, etc. Let me give you a couple of observations here. The first is a question. That question is this. What caused the growth? In Acts chapter 6, what caused the growth? God made a promise to his people all the way back in Isaiah chapter 55. It's really verses 10 and 11, which say this. For as the rain and the snow came down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is what, this is what Paul understood when he wrote of, for example, his preaching and Apollos' preaching in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verses 6 and 7. He says this, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? 
servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. It is God who causes the growth. God's word will succeed, he says here in Isaiah 55. And he has called the apostles to be his witnesses. He told Peter, feed my sheep. He told the elders to shepherd, to pastor the flock of God that is among you. He told Pastor Timothy, preach the word. The first priority of the church, of every church, is the proclamation, the the preaching of God's word. But without this, and without this, I don't think there will be any sustainable long-term growth. And I don't mean numbers. I mean growth. Maturity. Instead, I think without it, we will be tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. The sands will shift and our house will collapse. It may be numerical growth. We can build a crowd, but not sustainable growth. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Timothy says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Without the foundation of God's word, people will wander off into myths, the Bible says. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We sing that song. My job as preacher is to labor in accurately preaching God's word. It's God's job to cause the growth. It doesn't mean that we're passive, and so we work, we study, we reach out, we pray, sometimes feverishly, for our loved ones and our friends to trust in Christ. We invite them to come and hear the truth of God's word. But we remember that it is God who causes the growth. The second observation is this that I would make here. Like the rest of the book of Acts, as I have said, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. This verse tells us what happened then, not necessarily what will happen to us. But we need to remember something. The numerical growth of the church of Jerusalem was a direct result of the power of God's word that the apostles continued to proclaim, even when they were told to be quiet. God's, God is faithful. They even saw a great many of the priests, it says in verse 7. Those whom you would least expect, those who would have been there when Christ was crucified, those who voted in their shouts, crucify him. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith, it says. So let me close this morning with just a couple of gospel notes. Then we're going to talk a little bit more about how this will play out in in our business meeting. Um, The first thing I want you to see is this. Godly church leaders will focus their ministry on prayer and the ministry of the word. I'm preaching to myself. I need to remember this. 
Godly church leaders will focus their ministry on prayer and the ministry of the word. I have sometimes, maybe more than sometimes, gotten caught up in administrative details. But godly church leaders will focus their ministry on prayer and the ministry of the word, the word of God. They will pray for the flock of God. They will teach them God's word. It doesn't mean that they can't be involved in other aspects of church ministry, and in fact, we need to be, but we need to spend the bulk of our efforts in prayer and in the Word. And when the other stuff starts to crowd that out, we need to appoint godly men who will serve and take care of those things. A second kind of gospel note, the thing for us to take away from this is this. Prayer and preaching go hand in hand with a compassionate care of the needy. Prayer and preaching go hand in hand with a compassionate care of the needy. In reality, this is not a one or the other deal. It needs to be both. Because the the more people understand God's good news, the more they will understand just how needy they really are. And they will come to us for help. And again, I'm not even just necessarily talking about physical needs. I'm talking spiritual needs. The more people understand God's word, the more we understand just how desperate and needy we are, how dependent we are upon him. Prayer and preaching go hand in hand with compassionate care of the needy. And then the third is this. If our priorities are sound, the church will remain flexible. Look at what happens here. The priorities were sound. And so the church remained flexible. In fact, not long after this, these seven men are appointed to this task. And I I said at the beginning that Stephen was martyred in the next chapter. And then after that, Philip goes off and has a ministry. He actually becomes a missionary. He leads the Ethiopian to Christ in the middle of nowhere. And he goes off and we see him again later in Acts, continuing to minister. This was only just for a short time, apparently. This is not a long-term, permanent job for at least those two guys. We understand that various ministries of the church will come and go. We know this. We know that midweek has changed. Wednesday night used to be church night. Now it's different. It's changed from that. We understand that ministries of the church come and go, but the Word of God must be proclaimed. This is our priority. Christ will build his church. This is the theme of the whole book of Acts as we see Christ continuing to build his church and the gates of hell has nothing on it. It cannot withstand. Christ is building his church and Christ is building Logansville Church. He's building it in maturity. He's building it in numbers. Christ is building his church, and he will triumph in this. And so let's pray. We're going to approach the table this morning, and as we do so, it is to proclaim the purpose of the church. It is to proclaim his death until he comes. And so when we approach the supper... we acknowledge that we are a part of Christ's church. That we are a part of His family. And that that church only exists because of what Christ has done.
one day we will have what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. My guess it'll smell like it does in here right now, only a little better, if that's possible. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your church. I thank you for this church. I thank you that you have gathered together these saints who love you and love one another. And so, Lord, I pray that you would transform us, that we would continue to love and care for one another and meet one another's needs. Lord, I pray that we would do this not, uh, not out of simply a sense of obligation or duty, but that we would do it because you have first loved us. That we would love one another and so proclaim that we are Christians, that we are a part of your church. Lord, I thank you that you have not left us alone, but that when Christ ascended to heaven, you gave us the gift, you sent the gift of the Holy Spirit who would seal us, who would intercede for us, who would prompt us, comfort us, who would be your presence with us, until we acquire possession of our eternal life. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, that Christ would return quickly. And until then, we proclaim his death. We proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And we invite all who would believe to come and be a part of this great family that you have established, this great kingdom that you have founded, this house that you have put together, that you are building, and that the gates of hell will, will not, shall not prevail against. Oh God, I thank you for this church, and I pray that your name would be praised from here till you return. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.